You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. The, the, the passage that um, Brett just read for us ends with... When God tries to get your attention, he always has a good reason. Always. He always has a good reason. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open them to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Um, This whole last like 18 months, I keep having this reoccurring thing that keeps coming into my mind. And that is, whatever the Lord's trying to teach me, I want to learn it the first time. I don't know about you, but if the Lord has something for me, I want to get it the first time. I don't want to have to take the class again. I wasn't the most academically inclined person in the world when I was in school, and so there were some classes that I did get to take a second time. Um, If you were like that, could you just raise your hand? No, I'm just kidding. We won't embarrass you like that. But if the Lord's going to teach me something, I want to get it. I want to hear it. I want to know it. And I hope you do too, because think about this. If, if sovereign, almighty, holy, perfect, loving, gracious, and powerful God has something for us, well, we should want that. I want that. And my question for you is, do you want that? If he has something for you, do you want that? Are, are, maybe you're like me, though, where you need to be reminded of this often. That we need to to want what the Lord has for us. The problem is we get distracted by so many things that are going on around us. In fact, right now, everyone in the world is distracted with getting things back to normal. Whatever normal was. The best it ever was, all the good, all the plenty, all the wonderful, all the grace that we ever had in our lives was only a gift from God. Like it or not, we are all reliant on God all the time. All the time. For the nation of Israel, throughout its history, God would reveal to them their reliance on him through things like exile and things like captivity. And in our lives, he uses things like work struggle, difficult circumstances, job loss, pandemic, illness, relational breakdown, all sorts of different things to help us know and remember that we are reliant on God. All that it was, all the good, all the plenty that Israel ever had, it wasn't because they were great. It was because of the grace of God. And the truth is the same for us too. And so what we need to then do is return back to a place of reliance. That's what we need to return to. That's what we need to get back to. It's not a place of self-sufficiency or of independence What we need to get back to is a place of reliance where we are returning to relying on God and and receiving what he has for us. Now, 2 Chronicles is a a part of history that is recorded for the post-exile country of Judah. Now, let me help you kind of just wrap your head around that for a second. They went into exile, and now they have come out of exile. And so 1 and 2 Kings and 1 and 2 Chronicles were actually written to help them know, all right? And I think this is going to be on the slide for us here. First and second Kings were written to help them understand this is what happened. It's a lot of the bad stuff. This is why you ended up in exile. And first and second Chronicles is a lot of, hey, but this is what the Lord blesses. And so in our passage today, what we're seeing is, is what the Lord blesses. 
This is what God wants from our lives. This is what he wants to see in an increasing measure in our lives. And what it is, is a heart full of reliance. It's not a heart of independence. God doesn't want you to try and figure out life on your own. He wants you to trust him. He wants me to trust him. He wants us to lean on him. If we're trying to get back to all the good and all the plenty and thinking it's going to be dependent on us, if we're thinking that that relational breakdown can be fixed by something we do, if that unsaved loved one will be saved by our merits or work, it's just not going to happen. Even all of the chaos that's going on in southern Ontario, in Ontario, in Canada, in the world right now, peace is only going to come through the work of God. And so we must rely on him. We must depend on him. So let's start reading 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Let me read just the first couple verses. It says this, after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with them some of the Munites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, Angedi. Now, you're probably reading that and you're thinking, all right, Old Testament narrative, this kind of makes sense. There's just going to be a battle. But for Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah at this time, this is kind of unexpected. In fact, they've been working very hard to please and honor God. In fact, Jehoshaphat is named as one of these kings, as the few kings who sought after the Lord, who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He's been trying to get rid of idol worship in the country. He's been pointing the nation back to God. Now, a couple chapters earlier, he had an alliance for a little while with the king of Israel. Now, just by way of history lesson, the nation is divided into two. There's the north, Israel, and Judah in the south. Israel had no good kings. Judah had a few good kings. Jehoshaphat's one of those good kings. And at one point, he was like, ah, we need a little help. I'm going to talk to our brothers up north. That didn't go well. But now he's like, all right, this is what I'm about to do. I'm about to just seek the Lord, trust the Lord, depend on the Lord, and go after him. And so what he's been doing is he's been trying to install good government, promoting um, good judges, in, instilling worship of the one true and living God as much as he possibly can. Now all of a sudden, you see there in verse 2, this like coalition army from across the Jordan Valley has come to attack them. And he's surprised. He's like, this is not cool, not cool at all. I think we have a map we're going to put up on the screen here. All right, and so this is helpful. Hey, this is like, I can be like a weatherman. That's kind of cool. I've never done that before. All right, if you, look at the, if you look at this, all these people from across the Jordan Valley, they've got all the way to En Gedi. So not only have they come inside the country, they're so close inside the country. En Gedi to Jerusalem is about 35 kilometers as a crow flies. That's pretty close. That's not enough time to be like, hey, let's muster the army up. There is nothing they can do at this point. I said this at the beginning when I first started talking. When God tries to get our attention, he always has a good reason. Do you think that God has Jehoshaphat's attention at this point? I think so. And this sets the stage for us to learn what it looks like to return to relying on the Lord this great multitude, it says there in verse two, which is the Bible's simple way of just saying, numerically, it's impossible for you on your own. They have overwhelming superiority. And this sets the stage for us to learn three practices of relying on the Lord. Okay, here's the first one. Let's read verses three and four. 
Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all of Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now, it was said there three times, and I hope you saw it there, the first practice that we need to have in our lives, if we're going to rely on the Lord and depend on the Lord, is we have to seek the Lord. We have to seek the Lord. Jehoshaphat does this. He's a perfect example here for us. Um, I don't know if you watched the Olympics this summer, but I watched as much as I could. I am like an Olympic geek. I watch everything. I don't care about archery except for when it's in the Olympics. There's, there's some of these sports that I'm just like so into and I'm watching. I'm like, how did that judge give them that? I can't believe And I like get frustrated. I don't know anything about this. But here's what I do know about Jehoshaphat's response is every judge, even the West German judge, is giving him a 10 out of 10 here on his reaction, on his, on what he is to do. Now, if you notice there, he's afraid. You see that there? He's afraid. It's okay to be afraid, but it's not okay to let your fear overwhelm you. And how do we stop fear from overwhelming us? Well, it's said there three times. We seek the Lord. It says he set his face to seek the Lord. That set his face. That is a a very serious pursuit of divine intervention and help. That's what that's getting at. He knows he can't do this. He needs God's help. Pause for a second. Is this what we do when trouble comes? Is this our gut reaction? What are the judges giving us when challenge comes into our life? Are we getting a 10 out of 10? Are we seeking the Lord as we ought to? Now, if you notice the word Lord there, look at the word Lord. It's all capital letters. Some of them are a little smaller, but the Bible Often, as we translate it into English, instead of using the word Yahweh every time, we just have all capital Lord. And that's the word that's being used here. And so he set his face to seek Yahweh. Now that's important, especially for the original readers. If you think about this, they've come out of exile. They're back in the nation and they're reading about this history. And it's like, well, how did these people survive? They sought Yahweh, the promise-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Remember him? You know his track record? Do you remember the Red Sea? Do you remember the promised land? All of those things just come back into their minds as they're reminded, we need to seek the one true and living God. So in this moment of difficulty and desperation, Jehoshaphat's like, that's who I'm seeking. That's who we need to seek too. He goes after him. Now, you can see there that He's proclaimed a fast. And if you go and and read verse 13 later today, you can see that this is not just for like the men of the nation. This is for everybody, including the kids. Everybody in the whole nation, just in case we were confused about what they're doing while this Transjordan coalition army is like coming towards them. They are all, everyone seeking the Lord. Now I had mentioned that before he had a a relationship with the king in Israel and they had partnered up for a little bit. And that partnership went south because that king was unwilling to seek the Lord in the battle, in the situation that they had. And it did not end well for that guy. And this time, Jehoshaphat's like, well, I'm not even rolling the dice. I'm not even taking any chances with anything but just seeking the Lord. And so this is what he does. He relies completely on the Lord. What a great example for us. As I was studying this, I came across this quote, to humble oneself before God in the face of insurmountable odds, humanly speaking, and to trust him fully for deliverance are the essence of biblical faith. 
These two things, humbling oneself before God and trusting him fully, are the essence of biblical faith. This is what we are called to do. This is what Jehoshaphat does. Humbles himself. He is the king. We're looking to you, Jehoshaphat. What do we do? And he humbles himself enough to say, I don't know what to do. I can't do it. I'm afraid. We all should be afraid. And we need help. But he humbles himself and trusts God fully and perfectly. I love this. Problem comes, he seeks the Lord. So my question for us then in this first point is what is our reaction time like when it comes to seeking the Lord in our lives? I'm one of these people where if I'm driving and the gas light comes on, I'm immediately like, I need to get gas right now. Like we can't go any further. Like the first gas station, I'm like, I got to pull in here. My wife, she's read the little manual. She's got, uh, maybe it's more faith or just more, she's, more relaxed in a car than I am. She's like, she knows we got like 40 kilometers, but I'm like, there's no chance I'm running out of gas with four kids in the car, especially if it's winter. There's just no chance. I'm like, I'm one of these people who just the gas light comes on. I got to get gas. Sadly, and I confess this to you, I am often quicker to go get gas when the light comes on for a problem I might have, but I don't yet have that I am to get to my knees and call out to the Lord when difficulty, trial, and challenge come. What's your reaction time like? Don't miss the urgency here. We are called to seek the Lord. We are called to immediately go after him and ask him for help. Now that word seek, it means to desire or to search or to beg of the Lord for him to do something. And that's what Jehoshaphat is doing here. He is relying on the Lord. He is determined to receive favor, blessing, and help from God. Jehoshaphat wants to make sure, God, I'm on the right page, right? I'm going down the right path, and you're going to help. Is that what we do? Is that our reaction when difficulty and challenge and trouble come? Do we seek the Lord like this? Well, maybe you're thinking, okay, well, practically then, how do I seek the Lord? I would tell you there's two ways that we practically seek the Lord. And the first way is that we seek the Lord in his word. God has given us his word that we would know him, that we would know how he works, that we would know uh, how he has worked in the past. That's, in fact, why Second Chronicles and First Chronicles and First and Second Kings were all written, that his people would know him. And so we can see how God works and how he intervenes. So we definitely need God's word, but then we also need to seek him in prayer. And Jehoshaphat's going to show us that more in a second. But I would encourage you this morning, if you need to seek the Lord more in your life, then you must have the keys of God's word and prayer. Without those two keys, it's going to be really hard for you to seek God's help in your life. In fact, you're not going to be able to rely on him and depend on him and trust him as you should, as I should, if we don't get in his word to know him and if we don't call out to him in prayer. It's just not going to happen. We have to go to him. We have to seek him in his word and in prayer. We can't do it on our own. So question for you. Look at verse 2 there. A great multitude is coming. Today, what is the great multitude that's coming against you? Maybe the great multitude is actually a whole bunch of little people in your house. And it seems like this insurmountable, overwhelming army of little ones that create a lot of difficulty and challenge. Maybe it's temptation in sin. 
Maybe it's fear of the world's pressure on your kids. Maybe it's worrying about your job or your marriage or your health or a fourth wave or the health of a loved one, the anxiety for our country, for the political climate of our world. The only source of help is the Lord, the promise-keeping God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who loved us enough that while we were still sinners, before we even said we were sorry, he sent his son Jesus to make a way for us. This is how much he loves us. This is how trustworthy he is. This is how dependable he is. Maybe you feel like you're a little too disconnected from what Yahweh did for God's people in the Old Testament. He's the same God who sent his son Jesus and he rose from the dead to have victory over sin that you can have hope and you can have life. Friends, we need to seek the Lord. We need to call out to him. And seeking the Lord is more than just something that we say that we do. It'd be one thing if this passage just said that they sought the Lord and that was it. But go ahead, jump down to verse 6. In verse 5, they call this national prayer meeting. In verse 6, Jehoshaphat begins to pray. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before the people of Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now behold, the men of Amnon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let us invade when we came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy it. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given to us to inherit. Oh God, will you not execute judgment on them? We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. This leads us to our second practice required for relying on the Lord, and that is to depend on the Lord. We must be a people who seek the Lord, but we must be a people who depend on the Lord. Our requests of God reveal our helplessness and display our faith in him. What we ask of God demonstrates what we believe about God. And Jehoshaphat here, he is asking and confessing and depending on God. And it is all very evident of what he believes about God. Check out verse six for a second. Just look at some of these things uh, that he asked. He's, he's about to ask some rhetorical questions to affirm some things. That you are God of our fathers. Generationally, you have been faithful, God. That's what he's saying there. You are God in heaven. In your hand are power and might, and none is able to withstand. That's just verse 6. Then verse 7 through 11, Joseph reminds God of his faithfulness and their desire to honor God and God's promise to care for his people. And then in verse 9 there, he says, you will hear and you will save. That's a reference to chapter 6 when Solomon was de dedicating the temple. Then in verses 10 and 11, he essentially says, God, you gave us this land. We repaid, gave these people good. We didn't invade them. And now they're returning our good with evil. Which leads us to verse 12. Which is the hinge point of this whole story. Reliance. Complete dependence. We are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I love the honesty, the desperation, 
the complete reliance on God here. Jehoshaphat just lays it all before the Lord. We need supernatural divine intervention. We need to come down from heaven kind of moment here, God. We need you. Whether we like it or not, that's us as well. We need God's help. We need him to intervene in our life. We are dependent on him. We know dependence, right? Our kids are dependent on us. We're dependent on income. Maybe at this season in life or because of different things that are going on, you are dependent on some other people. Maybe you have unhealthy dependence in your life or dependencies in your life. Listen, all of those things we can live without. We cannot live without the help of the Lord. We desperately need him and his help. We can't survive without him. The only illustration that I could think of of this um, is when I was... At the end of high school, I had some mentors in my life, guys who were a couple years older than me, and they were really into rock climbing. So they would take me rock climbing with them. And we'd be out there climbing on these rocks, and I wasn't really cool enough to know what was going on, so they would just kind of tell me what to do, and I'd be like, yeah, let's climb some rocks. But I remember doing that and being up really high, probably only like 10 feet, but in my mind, it was a lot higher, and falling, but you're tied to a rope. And when you fall, there's like a, a, a second, not even a second, it's probably like a tenth of a second, but where you're, you're just dropping. And it is so scary, but you're completely dependent on that rope to hold you or you're going to splat, right? And it's a scary moment there where you're just, you need that rope to, to catch. Now, even that illustration breaks down because that rope's man-made and the way that it's set up is, is done by a man. But listen, God is always reliable, always dependable. Look at verse six again. He is God in heaven. He rules over all the kingdoms and peoples of the earth. In his hand are power and might. There is none who is able to withstand him. Our God is completely reliable. Isaiah 41, 10 says, fear not for I am with you and be not dismayed. I am your God and I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Jehoshaphat knows this, and so he declares to God his position of need. The problem for us is the number one enemy to dependence and reliance on God is pride. And so often it creeps in, and we think that, you know, with our strength, with our money, with our wisdom, with our might, with our creativity, with our drive, or our ability, we'll be able to get through. And if not, well, then we'll seek the Lord. But the problem is when we do that, we fail to walk in faith. We fail to let God lead us. We fail to let God love us because of pride, because of some sort of desire for independence where we think that we can do it on our own. We need to pray prayers like verse 12 here. Have you ever prayed a prayer like verse 12 here? Have you ever come before God and just confessed your complete dependence on him? How desperate you are for him? It reminds me of Psalm 16, verse 1 that says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. There's nowhere else to look. It's just you, God. I can't do it on my own. Jehoshaphat's prayer reveals a lot about him. What does your, what does my prayer life reveal about us? What does your prayer life, what does my prayer life reveal about our reliance on God? We all have some sort of great horde that's coming against us. And God's saying to us today, you don't have to be anxious about anything. But in everything, 
with prayer and supplication, you can make your requests known to God, Philippians 6, 4 says. We just have to talk to him. But so often we don't. We try in our pride to just do it on our own. Jehoshaphat didn't. This is an example for us of how to rely on God, how to trust God. We need to depend on him. Psalm 121 verses 1 and 2 says, I lift my eyes to the hill. From where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That is more than just a nice verse to see on a pillow. Those are words to live by. My help comes from the Lord. I can't do it. I am insufficient and incapable and incompetent of rescuing myself. And so are you, friends. We need the Lord. We need God to help. Jehoshaphat knows this, and he's completely dependent on God. Let's keep going. Verse 13. You see there it says, meanwhile. So Jehoshaphat's praying, and whenever I see the word meanwhile, just pause for a second, I always think of like the old Batman show that's like, meanwhile, in another part of the city. And it like takes you somewhere else. That's kind of what this word is here for. It's like, meanwhile. So Jehoshaphat's praying. This prophet shows up, and this prophet begins to speak. And this is what the prophet says. Jump to verse 15. Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and, and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. How awesome is that? How encouraging is that for these people? They come before the Lord. They seek the Lord. They depend on the Lord. They call out to God. And you see in the, the passage I just read, twice, don't be afraid. The battle's not yours. Stand firm. The Lord is with you. Even, did you notice that the time and location of the Lord's deliverance in their difficulty is referenced there? That is a word for someone here this morning. God knows exactly when it all is going to happen. He knew for them and he knows for you. He knows when deliverance is coming. He knows when rescue. He knows when relief. All of those things he knows. How do we walk through the valley of the shadow of death? Well, the Lord is with us. In fact, it says that right there at the end of verse 17. The Lord will be with you. The assurance of God's presence is more than just a theological statement. It is the fuel for our faith to live. The assurance of God's presence is more than a theological statement. It's the assurance of faith for us, that we can trust him. So this leads us to our third point this morning. We must stand firm in the Lord. If we're going to rely on the Lord, we have to stand firm in the Lord. This is all they're called to do. God hasn't asked them to do anything like there's a certain kind of bow you're going to need or you got to like put these new special wheels on your chariots or, you know, no shoes for the horses this time. Nothing like that. All they have to do is trust the Lord. That's all they're called to do is rely on the Lord. Just stand. Psalm 147 verse 10 and 11 says, his delight is not in strength of horses nor his pleasure in the leg of men. It's not about like what we can bring to the to the battle. It's not about what you can muster up in your strength 
for your situation. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those who hope in his steadfast love. That's King Jehoshaphat here. He is hoping in the steadfast love of God, in God's victory, in God's power. Now, the whole nation erupts then, verses 18 and 19, into this like worship time. There's like awesome. Praise the Lord. He's going to deliver us. He's going to rescue us. Then verse 20, it says, and they rose early in the morning. Now, I don't know about you, but I think they rose early because they were really excited to see what God was going to do. It's like, this is better than Christmas morning when you're seven years old. You remember when you're little and you're like excited for Christmas morning and you can't sleep and you wake up super early and you're just like, here it comes, here it comes. This is Christmas morning. I've been waiting for so long. I'm so excited. That's them right here. But like, not just for some presents or for a celebration and seeing family, but for deliverance of the whole nation. And so they wake up early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. Jehoshaphat calls to the people, have faith in God and you will find him faithful. Maybe that's a word for you today. Have faith in God and you will find him faithful. You have been struggling. Jehoshaphat is calling out to the people because he knows some of them will still be struggling at this point. And he's saying, we must be people who trust the Lord. Don't look for help anywhere else. Don't try to do it on your own. We need God's help. Now, at this time, normally, as they go out, they gather, there would be like this war cry that goes up from them. I'm not going to try and imitate what a Hebrew war cry would have been like. That would just be embarrassing. Okay? But here's what they do instead. Verse 21. And when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. This is full reliance on the Lord. This is complete dependence and standing firm in faith. Do you see what their secret weapon to the difficulty and the trial in their life is? It's worship. It's calling out to God. It's desperate calling out to God and recognizing who he is and what he has done. So this is what happens, verse 22. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Amnon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah so that they were routed. For the men of Amnon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. And all God's people stood there worshiping and praising the Lord. Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. God sets this ambush of infighting and he delivers. Have faith in God and you will find him to be faithful. And that's what Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah does at this point. And God, again, proves himself to be faithful. As I was studying this, I was looking through scripture to find any other examples that are similar to this where we can see where, where, where people are called to just completely depend and trust the Lord. And, and the most perfect example of this, and it's almost worded the same, comes from the book of Exodus. In Exodus chapter 14, Moses and all God's people, the Hebrew people, are standing at the edge of the Red Sea. And Moses turns to them and he says this. Listen to how similar some of these words are compared to what the prophet just said. Moses said to the people, fear not, Stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. 
For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Trust the Lord. Trust him. This is how God's people fight battles. This is how we face trials and difficulty and worry and temptation and hostility and sickness and sin and sadness and humanly impossible odds. We stand firm in faith. We seek the Lord and we depend on him. Why? Because look at verses 15 and 17. You've got to underline these things so you can go look at them this month, this year, when things are difficult. The battle is not yours, but the Lord's. And the Lord is with you, my friends. The Lord is with you. We are called then to worship him. Now, if you go and look at verse 21, the words that, are, that these guys are saying, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. They are specifically reminding themselves of truths of the character of God. Why would they do that? To amp up in their hearts, to stir up in their hearts their understanding of the faithful nature of God. To help them better understand who this God is, who they are trusting. Now, our sinful flesh will try to tell us we need to intervene in situations, but what we need is God to intervene in our situation. And so if we're going to let him intervene, we need to have faith to let him intervene. And we can't let him intervene if we don't know who he is. So we have to remind ourselves. We have to worship. We have to sing songs. We have to get in his word and call out to him that we would know him and lean on him. So worship then is our weapon. Worship then, it is what we are called to do, to call out to God that we can trust him in the difficulty. Now, the Lord doesn't always swoop in and make everything perfect. Not this side of heaven, not every difficulty, but that doesn't change who he is or how we are to view him and trust him. In fact, all of the difficulties and challenges that we face in life are reminders to help us understand that he has conquered the greatest difficulty and challenge we have in life. And that is the problem of sin that separates us from holy, perfect God for all eternity apart from his work and his son, Jesus Christ. And he won that war. And so he brings us through battles and sometimes he lets us get beat down a little bit, all to teach us lessons, all to help us understand. And how he does that in everyone's individual life, I don't know. And you might be thinking about your battle that you're in right now and saying, how would God ever use this? And, and friend, I, I don't have the answer. But I know that God does. And I know he's trustworthy and I know he's reliable. And I know we can depend on him. And I know that because he loved us enough that he sent his son Jesus for us. And we can have hope in the forgiveness that comes that our greatest problem has been won. Our greatest battle has been defeated. Winds of discouragement and waves of sin and crush of difficulty and heartbreak, they might be overwhelming sometimes. Psalm 37 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Waiting's not easy. So what do we do while we wait? We worship. We call out to God. We stand firm in the Lord. We pray to him and we praise him. Maybe as we wrap this message up today, God is calling for you to rely on the Lord more. You heard that first point about seeking the Lord and seeking him in his word and in prayer. And you know in your life you have not been seeking the Lord in that way. 
You have not been pursuing him in his word. You have not been calling out to him in prayer. Maybe, maybe when it comes to depending on the Lord, you've just never prayed a prayer like verse 12. You've never just come before God and humbled yourself enough to say, I am completely dependent on you. You are where my help comes from. And God is calling you today to say, you need to trust me. You need to stop trying to do it on your own. And you need to confess how much you desperately need me, friend. Or maybe you're just struggling to wait patiently and to stand firm and wait for the Lord to deliver. And he's calling you today to say, well, then you have to worship You have to stir your heart to the truth of who I am. This world's difficult. God's got our attention by all sorts of different manners. And he wants to get our attention because he wants us to rely on him and to depend on him and to come back to a place where we are genuinely seeking the Lord and his help because we can't do it on our own. And so we need to rely on him. And this is how we rely on him. We seek him, we depend on him, and then we stand firm in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just confess, Lord, that it's easy to get distracted by the many difficulties and challenges, the great hordes of our life that are coming at us. And so, God, we need your help. We need your help to seek you, to go after you, to seek you that you may be found, Lord, to depend on you, that that you would, again, be seen faithful because you are And God, we just confess how often we get distracted by the world and think that we can do things on our own, that we can intervene, that we're independent. God, we need you. So would you help us to stand firm in faith, to call out to you, to lean on you, and to look to you. God, you are the source of our hope. You are the only hope of victory. So God, would you help us to trust you for that? We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.